Hello, this is Dr. Gwen, Thursday, July 30th, 5.30 in the afternoon. Um, the first report talks about getting second opinions, and I particularly wanted to talk about this one because I think it, may, it could have made a big difference in my mother's uh, bout with breast cancer from which she subsequently died. I'll talk about that in a minute. But it, it starts out with, is it okay to seek a second or even a third or a fourth opinion on your diagnosis? Many people feel uncomfortable with the idea that they are questioning the authority or expertise of their physician. Some fear that they will receive worse care if they appear to be pushy or difficult patients. Gathering multiple opinions on your medical condition can be one of the most emotionally fraught decisions that a patient has to make. And here's an example. When Chip Wells visited a hematologist after learning he had leukemia, the doctor's attitude struck him as more cavalier than low-key. He asked him to recommend another specialist, although it wasn't an easy request to make. But patients do have to make this decision. Research confirms what most people already feel in their gut. Not all doctors are alike. Physicians vary in how they are trained, what they specialize in, and where they practice. A decade-long Dartmouth project has documented significant differences in treatment between regions of the country. Major studies suggest that doctors deliver the best evidence-backed care only half of the time, and it's a rare medical condition that responds to only one treatment or therapy. Seeking out multiple sources of expert advice is one of the best ways for patients to gather information before proceeding with a treatment plan. Don't think of it as an end run around your doctor. Think of it as assembling the best team to guide you through some critical, potentially life-altering choices. In a Johns Hopkins study of 6,000 cancer patients, researchers found that one to two of every 100 patients who sought a second opinion after a tumor biopsy had received a wrong diagnosis, one to two of every hundred. Patients should recognize that a pathologist is a human capable of mistakes. Evaluating tissues isn't a machine-like process where everything comes out 100% correct, so it's worth it for a patient to get a second review of the pathology just as they'd get a second surgeon's opinion. You might seek a second opinion to avoid a mistaken diagnosis, but the more likely scenario is that you seek multiple opinions to help you decide on a course of treatment with the best possible outcome and the best fit for your lifestyle and preferences. If the patient disagrees on what this best plan of care, this one physician, his name is, uh, her name is Jennifer Frank, who's medical director at the University of Wisconsin Health Fox Valley Family Medical Clinic, says, she encourages them to seek a second opinion because I want them to have the option of finding a doctor who may agree with what they want to do. But I have to say, in my experience, that's not always the case. Rarely will they, rarely have I ever heard of a physician encouraging the patient to get a second opinion. Um, she says she tries to distinguish between treatment plans that are her preference or way of doing things and plans that really re represent what she thinks all physicians would do. She might try to steer a patient away from seeking a, a second opinion that falls far outside the mainstream of proven therapy, treating a metastatic cancer with vitamins, for instance. So, you know, right here, they'll stay within the comfort zone of their own colleagues. 
Um, here's another example, and it says, this is, her name is Magdalena, and she went to her doctor for gastrointestinal upset. She was looking for a second opinion. The first doctor had told her she had IBS or irritable bowel syndrome. She was pumped full of meds and called it a day. Um, she felt like the diagnosis the first doctor gave her was uninformed and a cop-out. The diagnosis turned out to be incorrect. Um, she says that, you know, the healthcare system doesn't allow doctors to be true detectives and solve medical mysteries. I think that's even more so with today's healthcare, uh, the way it is. So she always gets second and third opinions. Patients should know second opinions are a way of life. In fact, it should be a standard practice. We question, you know, their own opinions doctors talk about with one another. So how should patients bring up the idea? Um, this one, this Frank, this one, uh, physician says she recommends talking about in persons and using eye language to make it clear that it's a concern about the diagnosis and not the doctor. If your doctor seems reluctant to help, that should be a huge red flag. They all agree that if all possible patients should do a little research on their own before seeking another opinions. Research can make you feel more confident and less intimidated when you talk to your doctor about gathering other opinions. The bottom line is that patients must advocate for themselves, and that's something I've been saying on many of these podcasts, particularly with treatments that are expensive, potentially harmful, or with diagnoses that are life-threatening, they must make their health the first priority. Overcoming the fear and embarrassment reluctance to ask for another opinion is a huge barrier. But once you ask one question, you can ask another and another. And what I was saying about my own mother, um, she died in 1988 of metastatic breast cancer. And she, it sounds like they were talking about her. Um, she did not want to upset her doctor. I saw the same thing happen with my mother-in-law when she had a heart attack. Neither of them wanted to upset their doctors. They cared about having a good relationship and did not want, they felt that it would, they would be insulted if they asked for another opinion or for a different strategy. And, you know, that's, that's so sad because, uh, <laughs> They're dead. Uh, what did it accomplish? Um, I, I, I would fight for my family, and I hope my family would fight for me. And we have to, you know, we have to think of our relationships with our healthcare team. Obviously, we want good relationships with them, but we are essentially a consumer, and we're buying a product. We're buying services, and we need to ensure that it's the best for us. Um, I, I, can't, I can't say how important that is to get that second opinion and to get into the literature, which leads me into the next uh, little article I wanted to share with you. A website that you must, must book and visit frequently is the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. This is actually an agency that's sponsored, out of the, I believe, out of the Department of Health and Human Services, and they have a vast um, library of various resource materials that come up with the, the current research and summaries of, of the evidence that can help guide decisions. It's not only for practitioners in healthcare, but it's also for patients. So you want to go to, to ahrq.gov. This one is about um, osteoporosis and how the fractures uh, as a result of osteoporosis have been uh, rising dramatically. So the hospitaliz hospitalization rate of patients admitted for treatment of hip, pelvis, and other fractures associated with hospi osteoporosis increased 
by 55% between 1995 and 2006. An estimated 10 million Americans suffer from osteoporosis, which causes bones to brittle to become brittle and weak. Fractures associated, associated with osteoporosis are usually slow to heal, and they can cause debilitating pain, disability, deformities, and even death. The federal agency studies also found that fractures uh, associated with osteoporosis account for one-fourth of the roughly 1 million hospitalizations in 2006 of patients with osteoporosis. Cost hospitals 2.4 billion in 2006. Cause women to be six times more likely to be hospitalized than men. And these are probably postmenopause. Involved mostly older patients. 90% of hospitalizations were for age 65 and older, and 37% for patients age 85 and older. Were highest in the Midwest and lowest in the West. It would be interesting to see if that also is related to um, falls as a result of weather. Um, the AHRQ News and Numbers is based on data in U.S. hospitalizations involving osteoporosis and injury that was conducted in 2006. The report uses statistics from the 2006 nationwide inpatient sample, a database of hospital inpatient stays, nationally representative inpatient stays in all short-term non-federal hospitals and so on. There is a wonderful website uh, for more information about osteoporosis. Uh, it, it's called uh, Osteoporosis Treatments That Help Prevent Broken Bones, a Guide for Women After Menopause. And I'll put the link on the uh, podcast. And I'm, um, if, you, if you go to the RSS page from my website, you'll see it. You'll be able to access it, access it there. And that's at drgwen.com. Click on Podcasts and uh, click on the uh, associated RSS link. The other one I don't really have time to go over, but it was it's very interesting, and it's about how veterans' facilities are really not up to speed in taking care of women soldiers. Um, there's a number of health concerns that are not addressed. Uh, women are not screened routinely for cervical and breast cancers. Rooms are not designed to be compliant for female exams and so on. So women can go to war, but we need to uh, fix things for our veterans because um, they're going to be a long-term service of the of the veterans' healthcare system. So anyway, that's all I have for now. This is Dr. Gwen. I wish you health. Um, I wish you joy, and take good care of yourself.